Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. Today, Kat and I are going to discuss TNT's Snowpiercer. This one is the sixth episode entitled Trouble Comes Sideways. You know, whenever I think of trouble coming sideways, because I think of it often, uh, I always <laughs> I always think of the clever girl scene from Jurassic Park. Do you remember that one? Yes, yes. That Yeah, that is a very visual <laughs> of Trouble Come Sideways. Yes. So what did you think about this one? I really enjoyed this one. I think I said that about the last episode, but this one topped the last episode. It was very fast-paced again and a lot going on, but it felt almost like a movie. This one was a lot more cinematic, I felt like, and it was exciting. It did have longer sequences of the high dollar visual effects that you come to expect with movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I appreciated most, because I mean, that scene where she's fixing the train, we knew they weren't going to derail the train this week. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we know they're not going to derail it for like 15 episodes. (laughs) At least. (laughs) At least. Yeah. So the the stuff that I enjoyed the most, although I do like good action, is we got several small answers along the way this week that confirm some of our suspicions, inform other ones that we had kind of bubbling below the surface and gave us some other things to think about that we knew needed to be answered, but but we didn't really have much of a anything to go on. Episodes that do that, like, you know, when Lost did that or um, other, other mystery shows, Westworld, um, mm-hmm. Those episodes don't happen throughout the season. You know, you, you always get more more episodes asking questions than ones that answer questions. And this one was an answer one, I thought. So I really like those. I agree with you because it did have a lot of action. It was funny, too, because I asked myself a few questions along the way and then it would get answered. And like I, I got an answer in the episode. And I was yeah. like, oh, cool. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this one, just like the last few, started with a cold open monologue being given by a side character. In this case, it was Osweiler and his talk of a zero-sum game on the train. It's reflective of his cynicism, of who he is and the way he views things. But it's also kind of true, like, because they have a very closed ecosystem there on the train. So basically, it's true. You can't get ahead without someone else needing (laughs) to fall behind, which is kind of how a a zero-sum game works. What did you pull out of that? Also, after that, he said, to gain, someone else loses. So... I don't know. It's kind of like, uh, is it Newton's law? It's like for every reaction or for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. (laughs) Um, so that's, so that's what it reminded me of. It's like, there's no energy. There's no, nothing that happens on Snowpiercer that will not be felt by someone else. Or if you do something to Snowpiercer itself, it's going to be felt in some way. So it was just a nice reminder because I think Snowpiercer itself hadn't come into play for a few episodes now. Um, and it was a big deal kind of in the first few. And I was 
curious when they were going to bring it back and it did become a character again in this episode so i think his monologue kind of was detailing snowpiercer and just people the people on 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 it as well especially given what they were showing in mm-hmm. montage the the man that they show in the same cabin or area as as the mechanical failure they show him up on a ladder and he is replacing something behind a Wilford sign. I mean, if it was a clock, you'd think maybe he was fixing a clock, but it's not a clock. It's just a W. So I don't know what he was <laughs> fixing back there, but he's in the same area as a leak that caused the the, the problem. Mm-hmm. My question mark was, was he a saboteur or was this just good old fashioned mechanical failure? Because that kind of looked like battery acid corrosion. Yeah, it did. I wrote down green ooze. <laughs> um, I think it, it it seemed like it was a problem that had been there and it was just waiting to happen like a day or a spark. I think that also just informed and kind of confirmed what we thought, right? That throughout the episodes, Melanie's actions are, she's always kind of on edge because she knows and she's one of the few that know that they're running on fumes in all regards. So this kind of showed us Oh yeah, it's the the line is like it's impenetrable or whatever and it's not. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I liked seeing that. I liked seeing kind of the degradation of it because I was like, "Oh, okay, finally we're able to see some of that." I know we saw it in a few of the other episodes, but this one really came into play. That first scene, we've been saying Shinchu's name wrong. It's Jinju, not Shinchu. I looked it up and it is actually J's instead of SH's or CH's. So I'm glad uh, we got that straightened out. <laughs> yeah. Jinju. Yeah, Jinju. Just J I N J U. Yeah. Okay. Jinju. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh have you have you ever tried to partake in any kind of meditative or yeah concentration or anything like that yes before covid happened i was doing a lot of hot yoga and so at the end of the class we would do where i think it's called shavasana where we would just lay down and that's where you're kind of having the last moments of class and and getting to feel free Uh, i've tried meditation on my own but i haven't been as successful just because i i haven't given it a good old try so um (laughs) But yeah, I think I, I mean, I, I enjoy it <laughs> when I can get into it, but mostly when it's been with hot yoga and due to COVID, I haven't been to a hot yoga studio and I don't think I'm going to be back for a while. So I have to imitate that by going outside in the Texas heat, <laughs> maybe sitting down. <laughs> so I'm, I've done it once and I was a lot more like Melanie was in this scene where mm-hmm. she, she gave it a try for about a minute and was like, uh, I wouldn't even call it a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn off my brain. See you later. Yeah. What did you think of her response that she was going to crush the strike? I think it was kind of another day, another day on Snowpiercer for her. I think she's always having to do these kind of like she was like, oh, it's blowback from her decision. So she knew it was coming. Like she didn't think she was just going to make that decision. She did with the trial and then it was going to be everyone was going to be happy so I feel like she almost anticipated that strike because she didn't seem so shocked about it. And she was like, I'm going to go attend and, you know, do her thing. I think she just thought it was going to be like another thing for her to tackle, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. I think maybe this might be part of what may bring her down at some point could be that for as smart as she is, she is kind of a tactical thinker. She can plan out a few steps ahead 
But in terms of like coming up with the strategy for how to deal with things like the strike, the people, third class, etc., that may not be something that she's well suited for. Whereas dealing with the day to day, like you say, well, I can crush it today by doing this thing and then we'll just deal with what that brings about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, That'll be interesting to see if I'm right or wrong, because she does discuss long term plans later on in this episode, but she might have inherited those rather than come up with them herself. It was interesting because I think in this episode, throughout the episode, we get a lot more tidbits on Melanie and I'm still kind of figuring out whether I have a good grasp on who Melanie is and some of the things she revealed in this episode. I'm like, hmm, maybe I was wrong about you in some ways and now I'm kind of understanding or is this another thing where you're showing someone because you need to get out of the situation and you're still not you know, doing it for the greater good kind of thing. So I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I think it's fair to just dive into that. We're assuming people have watched this episode. I think what you're talking about is the fact that she tells Andre that she designed the train yes. and, and that that's the reason she's the best person to fix it. And then she goes and fixes it, which uh, in my mind lends credence to the idea that she designed the train. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting because now she works in hospitality do you know very many engineers in your everyday world? My sister is an engineer, and I actually um, had majored in engineering for two years, but I switched over to radio, TV, film. Um, so I actually have quite a few friends who are engineers. And how many of them are gregarious, hospitality-oriented people? I would say few. <laughs> I, I could I could not see the engineers that I know probably. Uh, be doing what Melanie does is having to please people by day and then by day and night and 24 seven uh, also worry about the train and fixing it. Like I can't see that happening because engineers tend to be very problem solving, but this is problem solving on another, on a social level, which yeah. is something that is very different than solving, you know, mathematical problems or, you know, structural problems. So yeah, Melanie is kind of a total this episode also when she's like fixing the train and, and, and doing all that. I'm like, man, you're a freaking badass. And now I know what like the way Bennett was looking at her. He was just in awe and like, just like, you are like the woman I love. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Because uh, yeah, she does it all right. That's what I was talking about is I really respect her in a lot of ways. And this episode really proved that because regardless of whether the moral question, is she doing this for the right reasons or, you know, has she done some things that are shady? Yes. But do they cancel out because she's actually keeping the train from derailing in these type of things? And how many times has she done this in the past seven years? Right. That look you're giving, it it makes me wonder if the characters of Bennett and Melanie were basically... I don't want to. I don't want to simplify it too much to an insulting point, but let me just say, like twenty years ago, this easily would have been gender swapped. You know, where yeah, the man is going underneath the train to fix it, and the woman, you know, looks on approvingly from the <laughs> from the distance. Right, right. That's an interesting and timely and very modern look on you know, roles in entertainment, which we have seen elsewhere in Snowpiercer. Yeah. Yeah. Because when she was, when they were deciding like, who's going to go down there, it was like, no question. It was like, I'm going down there. I need to do this. And 
usually I feel like in other situations or like you said, 20 years ago, it would have been like, no, you're not going to go do that. Or it's too dangerous. I'll do it. You know, like <laughs> right. that kind of thing. And and she was the one telling them like, I'm going to do this. I know what to do. And, and they know she knows what to do. And I really enjoyed that part because I did think on the fact that this wasn't very common even five, 10 years ago. So even within that, if it was a woman that pushed a man out of the way to go and do it, Mm -hmm. she always fit into this singular trope where there was like kind of a tomboyish, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. uh, What would you say? Like, like doesn't brush her hair kind of. (laughs) Kind of like, um, although I love, I love Ripley, but like kind of like Ripley and Alien. Yeah, yeah. That's the right. even though Ripley, yeah. Although Ripley is kind of multifaceted as well, but yeah, she's a little bit more of the tomboy kind of thing. And Melanie is complete opposite of that. So mm-hmm. I, yeah. But they're kind of they're same badass ladies. They're just it's a different different way. And yeah, you're right. It is a very much of a trope. Or what's her name? Sarah Connor in the Terminator, right? <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, right. Yes, exactly. I think you I think you're seeing what I'm saying where Melanie does not fit that kind of thing. She's got more complexity to her than to fit into a single box. You know, mm-hmm. by the end of the show, we, she may have too many things for, to be an actual realistic human, but at this point, she's a very <laughs> she's believably interesting. How about that? Yeah. All right. Okay, so let's back up a little bit, back toward the beginning of the of the show, and we start looking at Till and the fact that she didn't come home last night. When she stayed out looking for Osweiler, do you think it was out of concern for him or damage control and, and save her own ass? Oh, yeah. I think it was damage control. And, I mean, the fact that she had just got with Jingju and, and was um, – probably wanted to spend the, the first night with her in their new, you know, as her new status as a second class. The fact that she had to just like search and, and I think she probably felt like her future was in jeopardy um, because of the decision she made to help Andre. And also because Osweiler is such a hothead and he's not very reliable and he's not very courageous. And so I'm sure she was just like, oh my God, I'm trusting my security on this train and my recent upgrade to this dude who has proven to be an asshole. So (laughs) I think that was probably what she was uh, searching for. I don't think it was anything for Osweiler's benefit. (laughs) I think we, I hope that we're at the beginning of an arc for Osweiler that would make him less two-dimensional. You're right. He he Mm -hmm. is an asshole. (laughs) and he he just seems set on being an asshole but you show a little compassion to him you do make him think that maybe just maybe he's not all alone on the train and you may not have a a friend or someone that you can turn to exactly but you do have someone who is not going to rat you out at least not yet so that is more interesting than where we were with just kind of the bully that he'd been portrayed as so far yeah and in his monologue he mentions you get insight to his backstory of his mom was a chain smoker and his mom was telling him basically a summary of the zero sum game which i'm assuming that was when he was younger so to tell a kid that it probably wasn't a a nice upbringing (laughs) so for him for him so for him to for him to mention like oh snowpiercer isn't that bad compared to um, and you fill in the blanks of what that was, um, you do end up feeling for him. And yeah, I think you're right. That's kind of the start of you get, you feel empathy for him because of his monologue. And then 
what happens with with Till and the fact that he kind of turns a little and doesn't rat her out, I think hopefully that that is a good sign. But I'm always wary of of those characters who start off a little um, like a coward because sometimes if they get pushed in the right way later on, even when they've turned, they still have that button where someone could push it and then they'll go back to ratting them out or being a coward again or whatever. So I'm not going to give him the full benefit right now until I see more of his actions like down the road. Exactly right. He could come a long way and then Jamie Lannister on us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a little, little bit of world building. When Melanie goes into third class, she expositionally and let's let's the audience know that third class exists we thought we didn't know what to think they were there um but we didn't know why they were there it turns out that they were the workforce they agreed to be on the train in exchange for indentured servitude basically so that was a nice bit of knowledge to gain also i think throughout this episode i was also reminded of you know we've only seen a few of the cars and in some ways like we've seen what they wanted us to show which i think it's only been about i would say six to ten cars i know in the monologues they've been saying 1001 uh cars yeah and it's just like this episode was like oh because it it came up again later on and i was like oh yeah this train is super long it's not just these like 10 cars so i forgot about I forgot about the scope, and so I was reminded about that in this one, um, which was just a good reminder for the audience because I think sometimes, you know, given the scope of the show, obviously they're not going to show all these cars. You just have to keep it in mind. But it, you get you get lost in it when you're just watching. And you're like, oh, we're only seeing these certain things. So, yeah, it's nice when she kind of reminded us about that too and, and gave us that new info as well. Do you think that the threat to exchange 10 random strikers with 10 random tailies. Do you think she would have made good on that? And do you think the tailies would have come forward? Yeah, I think so. I, Me too. Well, <laughs> I think yes and yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on, in one regard, right. But I think also given the situation with Andre and what we've seen, we've seen a lot of the taily unrest, um, especially from Josie's perspective and some of the people back there where they really feel obviously wronged and feel like definitely one way about first, second, and third. And so I think right now they're really about resistance, but I can't say that they would say no to having an opportunity to go to third. And also that would push forward their agenda as well, because then they could move forward with their plans if they are, you know, they're trying to do like the resistance and take over and all that. So um, yeah, I think they would have definitely chosen. I think they would have been particular though and who they chose as those 10 just because of like if they wanted to make sure they were planning for planning purposes yeah you'd pick the most docile people (laughs) in the tale (laughs) we're also the most skilled somehow (laughs) right Um, yeah yeah let's move on to andre's tale a little bit yeah yeah he gets deposited in zara's (laughs) place and josie then shows back up to take him elsewhere, which is when he spills the beans about the Wilford secret, which I'm I'm glad that he's spilled that bean right away. But I wonder, is it just a matter of time before the whole tale finds out now? That's an interesting question because I hadn't thought about that one. It's interesting that they usually, and I think this is kind of what we're talking about, where we've been getting a lot of, a lot of answers, uh, more so than I would have thought. And I was thinking this might be something where he would 
prolong it or the show would prolong him telling someone or, or I didn't think he would tell Josie like right away, but I'm really glad that he did as well. That always bugs me in shows. Yes. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> just like, I remember the very, like an example was like the beginning of Fear the Walking Dead when we're supposed to be seeing the rise of the, of the zombies in that, in that show. Right. And mm -hmm. all the main characters have still have functioning cell phones, still live in the same house and, and all have had these odd experiences and they don't really exchange notes. <laughs> yeah. It seems very, that's very unrealistic because if I, I would have done exactly what Andre did because if I, was with my husband and be like, Oh my God, I need to tell you something. Like I'm, I'm so delirious, but like, you need to know this blah, blah, blah. Like, um, and an example that I have recently, because I binge watched Smallville, um, all 10 seasons, I can tell you that it was very annoying with Clark Kent, not telling his freaking secret. And it got, <laughs> I know, I know it wasn't, I know it wasn't meant to be binged because those were back in the 2000s. So it was like 22 episodes, but it got old like really like I almost stopped because I was like oh my god this is not endearing anymore like this is really <laughs> annoying and you should have told everybody in like the second season and you could have solved all your problems <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's why now I appreciate that there's a trend towards these secrets getting revealed um I know there's some other shows that have been doing that um so I think they're kind of learning from like those other ones in like the early it's, it's just like a trope that's also been used so much that you can't do that anymore so they go and they meet a Dr. Pelton, who yep. was the doctor present when they chipped Bess, <laughs> if that's the right terminology. I peeked at IMDb, and she is signed up for a ton of episodes. So I think she may not be huge, but I think she's going to be kind of important figuring this out. In this episode, she was pretty pivotal in getting some information and other logistical kinds of things for, you know, the team Andre and Josie. Yeah. And we haven't really seen her interact with, um, she had, she didn't interact with Melanie. Right. So mm -mm. we've only seen the mortician kind of guy, Henry. Think, Henry. And that was kind of like the only, I guess, even if you, I don't know if we can even call him a doctor, but, um, so it was cool to see another doctor, in this other regard where she knows a lot of information too, of what's going on, because in that position, you would know kind of all the shady shit, right? <laughs> because mm -hmm. you have to have done all those experiments that she mentioned. Um, I was talking about the scope of the thousand and one cars and she's the one that reminded me because she, Andre was really pushing her. Like he, he was, I don't know if he was in a drug state or just in a fuck, I can't believe this happened to me. And he was like pissed off state. So I guess you can, uh, I, what's your opinion on that? Was that himself or was he just really um, drugged up? Like, cause he yeah. was very aggressive and I, I don't know if it's because he would have been the same way, whether he was on the drug, like coming off of the drug of being put under, or if he was just like, I need to get all this information. Cause he was like, not waiting for anything. I think he might have been more aggressive had the drugs not been slowing him down. Mm. That dream sequence from last week that suggested that he might have gone and killed the cannibals just mm -hmm. with his bare hands, basically, or, you know, other implements that he might have found around the cannibal curtained off area <laughs> uh, <laughs> suggests that he has a capacity for violence that we haven't really seen on screen yet, but I'm not mm -hmm. going to be surprised when it, when we do. 
So the drugs might have been making him woozy and fall around and all that kind of stuff. That might have actually kind of helped his cause a little bit. If Pelton saw that he was actually super violent, she might have had a different take, you know, on on how to how to best help him. But she did help. She did reveal that there are – this is more world-building stuff that I love. Mm-hmm. The 11, yeah. 11 cars of the drawers. It's not just the one. They got 11, which means that that's 1% of the cars, total cars. I don't know if that's 1% of the population. That's that's harder to, to, to uh, figure well, out. Well, yeah. She did mention, I think, 400 people, right, mm-hmm. uh, that were selected. Or that was uh, Melanie, I think, that selected – the 400 people that were pre-selected, I think, to be in the drawers, kind of like, I don't know, cryo state or whatever they're on. But yeah, she also mentioned that it was like for experiments, mass incarceration, and that second class was basically North Korea. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was a lot. Like that was definitely a lot of world building just in those few lines that she talked about. I've read some end of the world kind of fiction and there's always uh, a conversation about, at least in the more scientifically rooted stories, the idea of the minimum number you can get by with to rebuild a society without having brothers and sisters need to produce offspring, you know, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I wonder if the drawers are basically Wilford's answer to that. Yeah. And now that we know there's a lot more drawers, is Wilford in one of them? You you mentioned that a couple episodes ago, and that is looking more and more possible. Not not just possible, but like probable. Yeah, and I don't know when it was, but it was early on in the episode where I asked myself. I wrote down this question: I haven't seen any pregnant ladies, and then it got <laughs> that got answered later. But had you asked yourself that? Because we hadn't brought that up in a little bit. It, it was like, because I, I hadn't seen any any of that. And I know they were talking about the fact that they have to get approved to yeah, procreate. Right. So I, I was like, oh, yeah, like what's going on with that? So that was also interesting that it, it came up in this episode, too, because we find out that Zara is pregnant. Yeah. Isn't that weird? You know, it's one of the tricks that they use to compress storytelling to fit on TV, where mm-hmm. there are certain elements, episode to episode, that seem like one conversation leading to another, you know? And the way that people work is that those kind of conversations don't occur like, you know, this month and then next month. It's usually (laughs) (laughs) day-to-day, hour-to-hour kind of of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But then at the exact same time, you'll have other things happening that should take much longer such as a woman who had sex uh, two episodes ago that seems more like two days ago in train time, all of a sudden knows that she's pregnant. And I think we're supposed to understand that that's probably Andres. That seemed a little fast for me. I could be wrong. It could be anybody. I mean, her job on the night car is sort of uh, undefined. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think I think we're supposed to understand that it's Andres. And that's that's one of those uh, TV time things that drives me a little a little wacky and you're because you're just supposed to wink and be like you know shrug your shoulders and be like that's tv that was the same thing where i was thinking about the scope of the cars because we kind of, i kind of lost it a little bit because i was just in the tv mindset mm-hmm. it's kind of like they did one of those little noises like 
uh, I don't know, like from the from the comedy shows, like she's pregnant and guess whose it is? <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, it felt it felt a little a little like that. Going back to the idea that of the list, mm-hmm. we get a fuller answer for the idea of the list when Melanie is captive. She spills the beans on that. I've already said that I think that that's probably all true. But did you ever watch Colony? Yes, I did. I loved Colony. This reminded me a lot of Colony. Do you remember the whole outlier mystery that took three seasons for them to finally solve? Yeah, it's a little vague now because it was it was like about a year ago. But yeah, there was a whole thing and I, I forgot whether it paid off or not. Well, as as much as it could for a show that didn't get an ending, the idea was that the aliens in that show were collecting people that they called outliers. So they had a list. Oh, yes. And then they mm-hmm. were shipping them off somewhere off planet initially but then someplace else when the moon base was destroyed or the factory if you will uh yeah (laughs) and the idea was that these people were so good at fighting that the aliens were going to use them as their military now i don't think that's the case here it was just sort of reminiscent of the idea of the secret list for a purpose that the people on the list don't they didn't volunteer for yeah that they're being chosen because of their the qualities because at first when when dr pelton revealed that she was on the list and that's why she ended up carrying and tra- and uh, taking in andre and then that andre and josie are on the list i was like oh they're probably been marked for just going in the drawer but since we didn't know that there was 11 more drawers going on and all these other things until melanie revealed that list i was like oh you were recruiting the best. So that's why you didn't kill Andre because you know he's valuable and you just wanted to kind of suppress that for now until you needed him later. I keep a separate little running log of things that we learn about characters that, you know, kind of round out their their bio. And in this one, we find out that Josie used to be a vet. So if you were needing to restart a society that uh, would need to hunt and gather and maybe raise their own animals, you'd need a vet. (laughs) You may not need one in the train as it is right now, but if things ever started to thaw, you'd need one then. Yeah, and it goes to show you, like, maybe Zara wasn't necessarily the information of telling Melanie that Andre was a detective because it seemed like she already... Given that there is this list and Josie was on it, it seems like she already knew and she knows everything about who's on uh, in the Taylor section. That's, right? that's starting to Did seem that? more likely. I mean, Zara might have filled in some of those gaps like the the grilled cheese, etc. But mm-hmm. but you're right. At a certain point, whenever the, the front of the train agreed that they weren't just going to kill the Taylors, they must have sent around a little a census or something uh, in the tale to figure out who they had back there. Or maybe they have, we don't, we still don't know a lot of the technology. Maybe there's some sort of database or whatever. And yeah, they were able yeah. to kind of pull, pull that. I would assume that if Snowpiercer was able to be built, then there is some sort of, like, I don't know, like a, they have the, the technology to find that information out at least. <laughs> I've been, um, I never watched Person of Interest when it was on TV, but it's been highly recommended to me and it's a Jonathan Nolan show. So I thought I'd start it. And so now I'm very into the idea of like facial recognition and cameras everywhere and a <laughs> database of everything that ever was and, and all that kind of stuff. So Snowpiercer might have all that shit on board for all we know. 
Yeah. I mean, Wilfred could have taken care of that before he possibly went into the drawer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the idea of using the drawers for sustaining Wilfred, you know, basically hedging his bets that the train either didn't need him or he needed to outlive the train. That all makes sense. Mm -hmm. The idea of not having a real thought out justice system also kind of makes sense because you wouldn't really want to dedicate that many drawers to criminals <laughs> if, if you were going to need to restart society later. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because at first, like I hadn't even thought about that they would be holding all these other people. But now I'm like, oh, duh, like, of course, kind of it's genius. It reminds me a sort of um, to do another alien reference, like the Whalen Corporation, mm -hmm. and, like Mr. Whalen he was always trying to find a way to extend his life mm -hmm. and do that. So it makes sense that it seems like Mr. Wilford is kind of in that same realm of genius, but also kind of crazy with like the society and, and wanting to outlive and, and, and do this stuff. So it seems like they're kind of, they would have been in the same realm. So I'm thinking now yeah. he's definitely feeling a lot more like a Wayland from Alien kind of thing. <laughs> I, I bet they went to the same country club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they probably attended the same university. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But it's exciting, too, because that means since we know we're getting a second season, I mean, sorry, spoiler for people, but Sean Bean is supposed to be in like the second season for 10 episodes. I feel like who else is going to come out of those drawers as well? Because we for sure know that he's probably going to come out. And it's also going to be exciting that that's the way they're going to be able to reveal new characters. Uh-huh, right. Because where else would you get people, like, unless they, like, stop the train, which they're obviously not going to do. So that was also a cool plot of, like, oh, we'll be able to, like, pop these people out and there'll be more people to keep it fresh. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a good thought. I hadn't thought of it that way, but it makes total sense. They just have to smooth out the thawing um, procedure. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't quite get it right with yeah. Nikki. Yeah, everyone's just going to be crazy in the first few days and go psycho. <laughs> and <then laughs> yeah. It'll make for great. It'll, it'll make for great TV, though. Yeah, barfing up black stuff and <laughs> all that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Also, though, if there's more drawers, though, could we maybe not know who has already been taken out? And could that be more of what maybe Nikki knew, like you know that whole thing? Or you think that is done with like LJ and Sean Weiss and that information? Because what if people have been, I don't know, what if they're, I, I don't know. I don't think it's Maybe done. Kind of I think it's in the, I think it's a back burner right now. But I think the idea of whatever bullshit LJ was truly wrapped up in, the idea of the drug trade, all that stuff, I think that's all still there. It's just mm -hmm. the train was, was running on, uh, you know, like a. Uh, they say when a car runs on two wheels, it's <laughs> it's a bad a bad deal. Well, the whole train was running on two wheels this week, so that made it that the the main main thing to worry about. But I think we'll start to find out more about that stuff later. I think there is still more to that, and I think you're onto something that there may still be more conspirators or whatever in the drawers beyond. Yeah. Well, because we I was just about. thinking that what if somebody woke one of them up, and then that actually like a killer you know like also on the loose or whatever that could be hiding out or whatever but maybe that's a little far-fetched oh no i think that's that would probably be a storyline that would keep them going for a few episodes would be if they had a very specific problem that basically the, the world is so small now that only one person <laughs> in the world can sort out 
but that person also happens to be dangerous in some way. Do you wake them up and risk the danger? And of course you do. Uh, and, and then that person ends up doing the dangerous stuff or do you just, you know, ride it out and, and try to fix it with someone who doesn't know. And that is never what they choose on TV. It's, it's, it's brought a whole new element. Like it, it, I asked you, I think a few episodes back, like what else is there going to be? It seemed like with the murder done that there wasn't going to be much, but this has opened up a lot more questions and it makes it a lot more exciting. Well, we had guessed that this week would be the beginning of a bloody revolution. That was not correct. But we also guessed that things were going to get worse in terms of the actual condition of the train, which now we know is probably a lot worse than even this episode revealed. Even if that wasn't sabotage and it was just good old fashioned shit wearing out on on the train, they're going to run out of parts at some point. And that was just one little failure that was threatening to derail the whole train. As part of my father's, my real life father's uh, <laughs> long career, <laughs> he at one point was in charge of maintenance for all of Union Pacific. And oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, and as part of just you know dinner time conversation, he would explain one thing or another, and I learned a tiny bit about train engines and. The idea that basically train engines are meant to be super redundant, like multiple systems to do the same thing. Uh, So much so, so that when you see a train go by, right, and you see there's usually like one engine pointing one direction, another engine pointing another direction, like you see two, Mm -hmm. two engines on the same train, you never see just one. That's not because you have to point an engine in a certain direction to make it go that direction. You don't. They they go the same either direction. And I don't really even know why they face front and back. It's just that in case one of those engines goes out completely, then they still have the other engine <laughs> to to finish the run. But even within that, the engine has, you know, multiple brake systems and 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 engines to keep things running and that kind of stuff. So what a, the whole point of all that is that I'm sure Snowpiercer would have been designed with the same mentality, even more so since it was supposed to be an arc to take, you know, the remnants of humanity as long as it could to try to save everybody. So the idea behind that whole story is just that this was one little thing that went wrong and it threatened the whole train. That might imply like those redundant systems are just worn down to their nubs, basically. Like there's not much left and this exposed that. For Melanie to really expose a a big secret to Andre, I mean, her life was being threatened, but more so she didn't really care about that. She was really like, the train needs me. And so that was kind of a moment of vulnerability. And she was willing to kind of give up the secrets, you know, and she revealed that the train is basically running on fumes. And it's a matter of time, right? Because it just seems like they didn't plan for it to go this long. And at this point, who knows what's going to happen. It seems like it's just going to be another issue after issue. And they're probably going to have to lose some cars eventually. (laughs) Well, it makes you wonder, like, when when they screwed up the atmosphere... How gradual was it? Was it like they they had a couple of years just kind of noticing that temperatures kept cooling and cooling and cooling and it was just ridiculous at a certain point? And so they could kind of have some mathematical models that would show how long it would take before things were like past a point of no return or was it quicker? 
and they just were like, oh, shit, and they couldn't really figure much out. That doesn't really make sense because they had enough time to build all of Snowpiercer, but that hasn't been explained yet. Yeah, they obviously had time to prepare because you can't build that train in you know a few days. It's like in that in in Deep Impact, the movie they were building the bunker uh, from the asteroid for like eight months, so at least like eight months to build something of like Snowpiercer esque. I think it, it couldn't have been done in a matter of weeks. It's like uh, the point in that movie Contact that lost me in terms of like wanting to keep watching it was when we just found out that I think it was like Chinese or somebody had an exact copy of that big three ring machine that she needed to use that had blown up earlier in the show. It was like, what? <laughs> you know, They had kind of built that up to be like a one of a kind labor of love that cost a lot of money and took forever to build and all that kind of stuff. And then the, and, the, and then they're like, oh, by the way, there's a second exact one over here. We can just go use that one. I know a lot of people have different points in that movie that they, that they dislike it. And that was mine. <laughs> so those things just take a while to build. And, and if you say that they don't, then your story starts to lose some of its uh, suspension of disbelief. Yeah, exactly. Assuming that, then we're, we're going to assume that whatever parts they're needing, they're running out of and they can't build them as easily if we're thinking that this is a unique kind of engine and all that so- sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, well, there might be machine shop cars and that kind of thing that could generate certain certain kinds of parts and stuff like that. But even that, you need raw materials. Eventually, you're going to run mm-hmm. out. So Yeah, you can't reuse everything in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, we're covering a lot of ground, kind of out of order, but it doesn't matter. We're answering just kind of questions as they as they appeared in the show. Another question might be Melanie's interest in Miles. You know, having seen the movie, there was a weird interest in kids in the movie that turns out to be yep. really sinister. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're basically the ones running the engine. <laughs> right, right. We have yet to see how ruthless Melanie is on that level. We've seen that she's smart and that she's got a sense of self-preservation and she's also got this other selflessness that would put her own body in danger in order to save the whole train. Kind of feels like she was saving the train and not so much the people in it. They just happen to yeah. happen to be yeah, in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we don't know her attitude toward kids yet. Did any of that Miles stuff give you any any specific feeling? Melanie doing, you know, that what she just mentioned, saving the train. And then when you said, oh, she's saving the train, not necessarily the people. And I think that's why I was having a little bit of a hard time answering the question of, oh, Melanie is maybe she's not so much evil. She's just, you know, doing what she got to do and all that. But then, yeah, the Miles thing it seems a little creepy McCreeps, you know, because <laughs> um, she, she doesn't like, she, she might, it might give you the illusion based off the fact that she just saved the train, that she would be interested in miles. But then she knows that Andre is out there. Miles is connected to Andre. And so it seems like that was too much of a coincidence to be like, Oh, I just see the potential in you for, to be an engineer. I was like, um, I think there's something else other than that. Whether it's the fact that she's going to use Miles against Andre, either as like a, I'm going to hurt him and you got to do what I, I, I want you to do. Or if there is some 
similar things to the movie that we haven't found out yet around kids. I think you're onto something with the using. It occurs to me that in terms of people that we know, Josie and Melanie are essentially opposites, right? Where Josie is a people caretaker. She's selfless in a very open way, willing to put herself at risk in in a way that could cost her super dearly, like in a real upfront and personal way with other people. You know, if she's if she's mm-hmm. caught going out of the tail, she'd get beaten and, you know, an arm frozen off and very, very personal kinds of things like that. And when she's back in the tail, she spends her time fixing up people and doing the best that she can as a vet working on people. And she is at one point Miles' mother. And then you have these scenes of Melanie saying, I'm taking an interest in you. I want to give you this caliper. I want you to become an engineer. I want you to be basically a young me in some ways suggests she might be trying to fill that mother role up train, even though I'm assuming he's with a foster family or something like that. Uh, And and Mm -hmm. that just kind of stood out to me as like two opposing mother figures in his life that are not alike at all. It's going to be confusing for him because she is going to use him in some way because she asked him at the very end of the episode for a favor. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was thinking like, oh, you're not really taking an interest in him. Or maybe that's just a side note. You really want him for something else. And when you're a kid and the fact that he is in so much of a better place um, and not in the Taylor section, I feel like he's going to be more inclined to help her because yeah. he doesn't really have the sense like, you know, if, as if you become an adult and like Andre, he questions everything. He knows what's going on as a kid. You don't really know that you may know a little bit, but he's been out in the world of like a little bit of luxury now compared to where he was. And so of course he would want to keep that even if it's kind of like unconsciously doing it. So I feel like he wouldn't want to jeopardize that. And so she knows what she's doing by using him. And this, this is an, an adult that, as a kid, it would be very natural to want to impress her. And she's already said, mm-hmm. I'm impressed. That's a very quick way into a, a kid's interest and, and desire to want to keep impressing you. If it's probably, you know, the people that are hardest to impress are the ones you want to impress the most when you're a kid. you know, a normally functioning kid anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And Miles is pretty good. I mean, we've learned from the little bits, like he's made it known to Andre that he's in his own little way, gathering intel or still on the Taylor's side. Mm -hmm. And who knows if that's fading as, as, as each day passes, she might also not know that about Miles and maybe not giving Miles the benefit, right? Because he also has kind of a loyalty right now to Andre and Josie. So that would be interesting, too, to see what the favor is and see whether he's going to keep it or not or where he's going to keep the loyalty to. That will be a heart-wrenching moment because he, depending on how things go, he might choose Melanie. And that would be understandable uh, in in a lot of ways. Let's go back to Till a little bit in this episode. We already discussed her quite a bit and her understanding with Osweiler – But at the very end here, we see her take her stuff and formally actually move in with Jinju. It looked to me a lot like she wanted to spill her guts, didn't it? Yes, that was a really cool scene because Jinju was 
that's where, remember we, we were talking about in another episode, what she was to Melanie mm-hmm. and you brought up the point that maybe she's kind of an insider and gathers information. And maybe that's why she's with Till, maybe not. And in that scene, I was kind of thinking of you and, and what you had said, because the look that Jinju gives her when um, she's like, wants to, when Till almost wants to spill her guts, but she holds back and she's like, Oh, I'm just going to drink. And it's been kind of like a long rough day um, <laughs> for everyone. And then Jinju looked at her like, Oh, like, just tell me like, you know, her eyes kind of like opened and it, it felt like she wanted to gather that information to go tell someone. And that someone would probably be Melanie. I don't know if you got the same feeling, but that really kind of honed in with that look that she gave her, Oh, you might not be as good as, you know, like not just the bartender kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Personally, I think it's just a matter of time before what she is feeling weighs on her enough. Because I think she's starting to see, like we've discussed before, she's kind of caught in the middle of kind of getting to the, the, the breaking point of how much of this class system she can deal with and whether or not she can basically keep doing her, her, her job the way that the train kind of expects her to and, and this kind of stuff. I'm making a lot of assumptions mm-hmm. here, but this is this is what I think I'm seeing in the show. And if you have a partner, that's just kind of how partners work, right? You, you tell each other that kind <laughs> of stuff. And uh, man, that'll be a big moment for us because if that comes to pass, what will Jinju do? Will she sell out Tess? What will that mean if she does? Or will she keep it to herself? And what does that mean <laughs> if she does? But that hasn't happened yet. We'll, yeah. we'll see if that does come to pass, though. Yeah. I guess another character that was kind of a side character and we had a lot of questions about was also Ruth. Mm. Um, and I really liked her little story in this one because, she, like we had mentioned before, we had brought up the question of whether she finds out if Melanie is Wilford and what that would mean to her. Yeah. Because she's the one that is like follows the ideology like by the book, and there's no sway in her mm-hmm. in in like opposite of like Till, where she is you know doing what she's doing, but she has been swayed a little because you know there's things that have been broken, and she's broken rules. But with Ruth, you know she wouldn't break the rules, and it's clear when she tells Melanie like, "Man, what is Wilford doing? Like he's like going off the rails." And the protest or whatever is basically deserved because of what will dis- the Wilford decisions. And that kind of proved what we were talking about. Like she wouldn't like being fooled by no. <laughs> by yeah. Melanie, and that kind of confirms like it's probably going to happen eventually. Um, and I'm going to be excited to see that. But also, Ruth had a lot of heart in this episode. Um, I really enjoyed the montage and her little speech and how she's like, "We're the last of Earth survivors," and she was over the intercom, and that was a really cool moment. How did you feel about that whole uh, Ruth speech? She basically gave like a speech at the end, kind of like Independence Day, like, <laughs> we're going to get through this together. <laughs> it reminded me a lot, and this is probably just my Americanness, but it reminded me a lot of the Queen and her keep calm and carry on mm-hmm. idea. You know, in, when times are tough, the Queen makes a statement, you know, like she did with COVID, like she has with other other events and her message is always very similar it's always something along the lines of yeah i know this sucks uh (laughs) but but we're gonna keep going we're gonna get through this we're gonna make it better when it's when this is over and and she knows that people hearing that feel better 
not all people, but a lot of people, enough people to make it worth her doing. That's kind of even justifies the fact that they still have her. And I think Ruth was doing that same kind of thing. She, her responsibility was to tell everybody, we might tip over. You need, you need to brace. You need to be prepared for that. But she kept going. And that was the part where, like you said, she showed a lot of heart and a little bit of that that human side to her that was still very, very British. Um, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And I also like the scenes that they were showing with her speech. It was kind of like one of those Michael Bay movies where they, you know, they're, they're having like the president speak and then they're going through all the countries because the aliens are coming or whatever. Yeah. But this one was like going through the different cars with the different classes and how, yes, they're all different. And they've been, they've been going through different things on the train, but, the thing that unites them is the fact that they're on Snowpiercer and shit could happen anytime. And then they all become one again. And that was really cool to see because it was very vulnerable, right? Like, I, I don't know, you, you felt for everyone, no matter where they were, because they were like, it doesn't matter if you're in first class, if you're in second class, if you're in the Taley section, you're all fucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if, if this, if this like derails and that is a bit unifying. And I think, that could be possibly why everyone is not necessarily okay with their station, but also knows like, hey, we're still lucky as well, because it seems like this hasn't been the only moment that this has happened. And so I think Melanie has been able to maintain control because of these moments that happen. And then you get that, like, you get that adrenaline of, oh, yeah, we're alive, even if it sucks, like, you know, even if we're eating blobs of jelly roaches or whatever, <laughs> like, just the fact that just the fact that you're alive is still something to celebrate. And this episode really honed that in of why they've been able to maintain the order. I mean, that's what I got from it. I don't know how you feel about it, but that was something that was powerful because it was like, oh, yeah, you get people on that, you know, you have a speech going on and then you have everyone just bracing and then it's over and then you get the high of we made it. And then, yeah, that can probably carry you for possibly another year of like, remember when I saved the day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That was important to note, I guess, in terms of like the Snowpiercer world on how it's functioned. Speaking of how it functions, there was a moment toward the end of the episode that made me wonder if we're going to just have to suspend disbelief completely or if there will be consequences later. What I'm talking about is when Pelton puts up Andre and Josie in her place and they <laughs> basically say that Astrid is just stuck in the tail as a result. Now, I know that they don't really take a close look at the Tailies when they come forward for work, but are we just supposed to believe that Astrid and Josie are so similar that no one's going to notice and everything's going to be fine and, and that's it? Or what? Am I just getting picky about my, my sci-fi here as I'm apt to do? What do you think? I, I see where you're coming from. And then I could also see, given that I, I just said about everyone's kind of on a high right now because they're alive. And so I feel like maybe the guards are going to be a little less um, diligent about, um, yeah, <laughs> a little, and they're going to just be like, oh yeah, just go in, you know, like that kind of thing for a few weeks or whatever time. So I feel like that's, if it does happen where she doesn't get caught right away, I feel like, yeah, that is a little bit of um, suspension of disbelief. And I'm going to 
credit it to what they just went through. Man. <laughs> um, even if it's a little bit of a stretch. If you're Astrid, though, I'll give it to them. You'd be like, I, I was, I came forward a couple of years ago. What do you? What, now I'm in the tail again. What, what's going on here? Uh, uh, she, she might not sign up so right. quickly again to, uh, <laughs> to switch places if she ever gets out of there. Yeah, I know. That, it was kind of shitty, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Get a nice big bed. Probably going to have sex in it later after the episode's over. <laughs> that was a, that was yeah. a strong implication, anyway. Yeah, and then what do you, I mean, I guess we can, um, the final thing is the Andre and Josie. And so the way they were kind of getting together, do you think that was the first time? Because I think we had assumed that they were together in the Taylor section, but it seemed like it wasn't. Because with him and Zara, it seemed like it was not, like, you know, they kind of knew everything and whatever. But with him and Josie, it seemed like, I don't know, it was just more intimate because he really cares about Josie in a different way than Zara. And he really loves her. Yeah, yeah. And, I think I think yeah. the deal with Zara, I think he's mostly over that. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I don't know. I've I've had very few like uh, serious relationships in my adult, what I would consider my adult life, and so mm-hmm. I haven't had the complexity of things like divorcing, finding another partner, that kind of stuff. So. I can't say exactly how I would feel in that situation, but or what a normal person would feel in that situation. But I think kind of in like that active, you're my one partner kind of sense, I think that is Josie. And I think you're right. They probably did one dark night in the in the tale consummated <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I think you're right. Yeah. And also it made me the fact that we found out that Zara was pregnant and that we're assuming that it's Andre's also made me think that oh did you need him to do that you know what i mean like that kind of thing Mm. too because maybe zara was getting with andre to see if he would like basically um give have the the healthy sperm right so (laughs) i i also think like i wonder if that was a calculated move to get him to sleep with her in that moment that is a pretty good theory that that is we're not gonna find out right away but it is worth noting because it might. We don't know Zara's whole thing. We know that she has a sense of self-preservation, and maybe, like, like uh, you know, I've I've mentioned before that I'm a Handmaid's Tale uh, expert, mm-hmm. and uh, like in that fiction, when you become a mother, you are all of a sudden like one of the most important people in the universe. The conditions on the train. No one is sterile like they are in Handmaid's Tale, but still, I got to imagine that the frequency of having kids is not that high, you know? So maybe motherhood is a way for even a third class worker to elevate their own station. That's just a guess, though. Yeah, because when when Andre was getting with Josie, it reminded me of like, oh, but you were just with Zara. I understand like that was probably, it hadn't happened in a long time and it was just kind of heat of the moment thing for him. But then I was like, oh, it might have been more calculated for Zara. Mm-hmm. I guess I just felt more okay with it if it's that. Because I was like, you know, when Josie is Josie going to find out that Zara, obviously Zara has the baby and he's black or, or whatever. <laughs> um, or when Andre finds out that Zara is pregnant and then he's going to, it's going to be that whole TV thing of like, who's the father, you know, or am I the father? And then Josie has to be like, what happened? And then that's going to kind of break their relationship or it's going to come into question. So I I just was like, oh, it it felt a little cheap is what I was getting, Mm, is is what I'm getting at. 
But then when I thought, when I thought about maybe Zara's plan was to do that. And of course, if Andre has been in the Taylor section and not getting any, and then this happened, like, I mean, any guy would probably do that in his situation. I, I, you can't blame him, even Josie. But it seemed like she lured him in when you look at, when you look back at it. And I was like, okay, I like that plot line more than he's just like sleeping with everyone <laughs> <laughs> or, or whatever. Cause then it just feels cheap, cheap. Yeah, well, and it takes our hero and um, cheapens him, like you said. Because he doesn't seem that type of guy, right? So I know they have history together. So for him, it, it was one thing for him to do that with her. But with Zara, she obviously left him. So he she wasn't caring about that. Like Josie, I don't think would have made that decision that Zara did. No, no. And in fact, not in fact, in theory, she could have been made the same offer, right? If When they were taking mm-hmm. auditions for the, for the <laughs> night car. It might've just been any woman within this certain age can sign up, you know, and Zara did. Yeah. All right. So that is basically our coverage of the sixth episode of Snowpiercer. Only, let's see, seven, eight, nine, ten. So there's four more to go. We had Revolution sort of derailed that's a pun, uh, this week. <laughs> but Audrey made it seem like, you know, that this is just a Band-Aid. We're, we're still unhappy generally. So I think there's still going to be some more revolution to come. And now with Andre, Melanie knows he's out there, but he doesn't. she doesn't know where. There might be an active search for him while he is probably looking to cause trouble, uh, I'd imagine. But we'll see. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be um, interesting because I wonder if Melanie is just going to let that be in some way and maybe have to bring Andre back into the circle because I can't imagine he's going to go under again. But I can't also imagine that she's just going to let him wander around <laughs> because if he if he gets to the Taily section, that's over, right? Because he'll have all those people in revolution. But like he told Josie, though, he was like, I just want you to know this because we don't know when we're going to use it. So I also think that as much as he was really gung-ho in this episode of like, I got to get a Melanie, I got to do all this stuff. I think he's going to be a little bit more calculated in the next episode. So that's my theory. He's not going to be as aggressive as he was in this episode. Yeah, good thought. All right, then we will catch you next week. This has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.